Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast. Coming from Los Angeles, here's Aaron Alvarado and David Stauffer. Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast. Part two of our Once Upon a Time in North Hollywood pod. Um, Special. Spectacular. Yeah. Awesome. Is, is North Hollywood better than regular Hollywood? It, oh, it is, it is the best Hollywood. What's the there, best Hollywood? West Hollywood, North Hollywood, or Bollywood? What's the, uh, <laughs> well, there's also East Hollywood. There's East Hollywood? There certainly is. Is it nice? It is actually pretty, pretty nice. nice. Yeah. Okay. West Hollywood. West and South? There's a s- South no. Hollywood? There's no South Hollywood? There is no South Hollywood. Oh, that's There's a branding opportunity for whatever South of Hollywood. Yeah. What and I- so all three of the East, West, and North are better than the original. I, you know, going to see the movie last night, we had the misfortune of driving through Hollywood after, <laughs> after the movie commenced. I thought it was a delight. Not exactly like the 60s. Yeah. No, but it, I imagine it's, it's what it would be like driving through Bollywood if that was a real place. <laughs> Um, just traffic everywhere. No one following the rules of the road. 11 o'clock at night, still bumper to bumper. Bumper, bumper to, bumper. to bumper. Lights didn't matter. People terrible decisions being made. That's the thing. It's, like, it's not even bumper to bumper. People were driving recklessly. Yeah, every choice that was made that night was bad. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we got out of there, luckily, unscathed. But, yeah, uh, North Hollywood is the best of the Hollywoods. North Hollywood is. Yeah. So uh, this film that... You know, Quentin Tarantino describes as a love letter to Los Angeles. Yeah. It's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Let's ask the expert. Did it it feature all of the Hollywoods? I mean, there's so many scenes in this movie that are like, you're in the car, you're seeing things. Right. It showed North Hollywood. It showed regular Hollywood. I mean, like, did it hit them all? Technically, it does not go into North Hollywood. There's a scene in Burbank. There's a scene in Studio City. But they don't. They didn't hit North Hollywood, unfortunately. So. Sorry, Aaron, to your yes. hometown. Yeah, so the movie was a love letter to Hollywood. This podcast is a love letter to North, to North Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah. yeah, give it its due respect. Um, <laughs> Aaron, we talk a lot on the pod about like the movies that are love letters to cities. Uh, you know, I talk sure. about Lady Bird and what it means to me as someone from Sacramento and all that stuff. And, and we did a whole pod on top LA films. Like, what, what, it, like, you know, there are films that feel truly LA. Right. For, I'm curious just for, for you, what was it like when it, in the, in the category of LA movies, is this like one of the greats? Is it like, did it channel it in the way that the great LA movies do? Or is it a little bit of a different beast? So the hard part is it's set in Hollywood or it's set in LA that I don't know. It's set in the 1969 LA version of LA. Wait, what year were you born? Uh, I wasn't born in 1969, <laughs> okay. unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, so it's no. a little before my time. Not, not much, but yeah. So th- what it does feature is a, a, a history that I'm aware of as being someone that was raised in the LA area, the greater LA area. And, and from what I understand, and from some of the landmarks that are still around to this day, it, it's a great representation visually of the city. Um, he, you know, there's a lot of stuff that he had to recreate to, to, um, create this world, mm. this fantasy Hollywood, um, because this, this movie is after all a fairy tale once upon a time in Hollywood. Right. Um, so a lot of stuff had to be recreated. A lot of the stu- a lot of the places he shot, um, like there's this, there's this map on, uh, the LAist.com website and they show the actual location. Hey, the website is called the LA. It's, a, it's an awful website. LAist, yeah. It's bad L-A-E-S-T? branding. L-A-E-S-T? I-S-T. I-S-T. It's yeah. Yeah, even worse. I know. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's like, terrible I, branding. IST is very LA. Aaron yeah. Aaron yeah. frequents the site since we leave all it. the time. I just can't open it. Yeah, yeah. Malware it, chance. Yeah. I love it, but yeah. So they that's a really cool breakdown. Like it shows you where they actually had to to shoot this stuff because a lot of the icons do not exist anymore. Mm. But he tried to stay true to these things that were really there, physically there. Um, and so like I don't know that stuff because I didn't go to those places, but I understand. I've seen the pictures. I've heard the stories. They were there at some point, and so they're a representation of what the city was like, you know, 50-some-odd years ago. Well, (laughs) we spend so much time on the road in in, in this movie, like in cars, just (laughs) seeing things. Literally, just running errands earlier today, we we drove by like a a building that was prominently featured in— And what did it say? It was Van— It it was Casa Vega. Casa Vega. uh, The Mexican—one of the Mexican restaurants. And what did it say on—it said uh, the Quentin Quentin Tarantino Tarantino. Margarita. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just driving back from the movie, like we saw some of the landmarks that were in the movie. Yeah. We so, were in the movie. Yes, we were in the theater. We were in the yes. New Beverly was in the movie. Yeah, uh, it yeah. was a, 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 a funny nod reference to it, which I was like, "That's where we are. That's our theater." I yeah. recognize that. You haven't theater. seen uh, the first uh, podcast? Please yes. go back and listen. You can hear our hear the whole experience. Incredible experience at the <laughs> New Beverly Quentin Tarantino's theater. It is I'm definitely worth it. Nothing short of a magical experience. It's also the non-spoiler pod where we give our reaction. This is though the spoiler pod. So if you're listening and you care about spoilers and you haven't seen it, uh, stop listening now because we're going to go into detail about all sorts of scenes, all sorts of the events that happen. Um, we're going to talk about this ending, and so uh, we're, we're about to spoil the whole thing. Before we go into great detail, though, I do want to hear quickly from each one of you how you would rate this movie on a scale, the Rotten Tomato scale, 0 to 100. I know, I know. Uh, Jeff we hate. Sorry. Well, we hate Rotten Tomatoes, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeff doesn't, it is the standard. I don't, uh, I don't want to punt against it's, Rotten Tomatoes. It's not even Rotten Tomatoes because it, it's just the on a scale from one, my 0 to 100. <laughs> <laughs> um so, because uh, we talked on the last episode about where you rank it among the er, initially among the other Tarantino films, but just scale from zero to one hundred. Well, so if we're going with the Rotten Tomato score, which is not a score of a <laughs> oh regular boy. percentage, here we go. Well, let's Sorry. pretend like it is. Listen, here I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very go. quick, very quick. Okay, I understand that the Rotten Tomato score is the standard for movies in America right now. So if you see a ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes, you think ninety eight percent. That's an A. This is an A movie. Yeah. No, it is not an A movie. What it's telling you is 98% said true to it being a pretty good movie. <laughs> you, you just described, like, basically my good grades in high school. Um, <laughs> all the A's I got in high school were Rotten Tomatoes A's. <laughs> my 92% in, in chemistry was a Rotten Tomatoes were they 92. certified fresh, It's though. really more like a, a B-level effort. So the Rotten Tomatoes score isn't a score of, like, the overall movie. It's an Score of an overall likability. So of overall, everyone, 98% of the people liked the movie. They so thought it was good, so it's worth, not yeah. bad. It's worth noting that Jeff is a big Metacritic guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, and audience so score. There is an he's, agenda. He's big on audience score. <laughs> but now... I disagree with no, the idea hashtag that like, not my audience score. <laughs> everything should be like focused on a true false like i love i love living in binaries it's good or it's bad that's right (laughs) well now you have the power to correct that mistake i'm not swiping left or swiping right right it was an incredible movie it was a tour de force and and uh, out of a hundred a (laughs) we're gonna nail you down man you cannot score away. No, you have yeah, to give us a score. A, what? A Rotten Tomatoes? No, no, no. Very no. simple. Out of a score out of 100. Zero to 100. Oh, zero to 100. Just a, just a zero to 100 rating. Um, 
Yeah, so I'd probably say like 92, 93. I think. I think that like the only thing that maybe I could knock it for was that there was some parts where I didn't feel like as entertained. Mm. But again, that's okay because it paid off later. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't want to talk about that I more later on. I don't want to get through semantics, but and and give give the movie really a number. But I I loved it. So ninety two, ninety three, a minus. Yeah, I mean, if we need to give it a, a number rating, which we do, <laughs> that is a requirement. Uh, I'm gonna give it solid ninety five with potential for a hundred. I think there's room to grow there, but worst case scenario, this is a ninety five for me. This is the most fun I've had in a movie, like I said, since I've seen Pulp Fiction. Um, I Ni- loved it. I 95? loved everything about it. Ninety-five. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I think I'm right there with you. It's not. It's a ninety-five out of a hundred. Like it's it's just like I, I I. But I'm trying to think of like okay, why not ninety-nine? Like sure. what could it have done better? And there, it's you know, no film is perfect. We're splitting hairs. And we are yeah. splitting hairs. Yeah. But I I I think we're gonna we'll we'll talk a little bit later on because uh, I I want to get in, in the more meaty details and the things that we love because it's gonna be really fun to talk about. But the, yeah, I I think um, the approach that he took in this film, which I actually think was part of the genius of it, is that and unlike any of the films he's made, is how much time he takes to build the world and let you live in it, and it really takes its time. And if you don't have patience, for some people. I could see them going in that maybe don't appreciate necessarily like Tarantino type films being a little bit bored or a little bit like, okay, let's, let's, let's pick up to the plot. Like people who want like really fast plot driven, like pushing the story forward. Uh, he takes his time when you realize why he takes his time. Uh, it's, it's brilliant and it's totally worth it, but, uh, it, it's still, it's still, it's two hours and 40 minutes. It's, it's a long movie. It is a slow burn. It's methodical. Like, I don't know if he's ever done before. I think there's elements of, that uh that kind of really grinded out nature he's shown in other movies like i feel like hateful eight it's it's kind of a grind and he does grind in this movie as well but i think the payoff is so much better in this movie than in hateful eight that it was totally worth the journey um but if you're someone that needs an instant payoff right away you you might not like this movie because the the, it's a slow burn like the first act is a slow burn and I don't necessarily think it feels like a Tarantino movie right away. Yeah. Um, which, for me, I didn't need it to feel like anything right away. I was just experiencing whatsoever, or just going into the experience to experience it. Not every not every movie viewer is going to be that open minded. So if you're looking for immediate payoff, I don't think this is the movie for you. Um, it's more about just living the experience and the journey. And uh, yeah, so 95 for me. All Very right. solid A. So let's jump into this. The, the movie is about, <laughs> I'm going to try to do this as a few words as possible. Good luck. Uh, the, 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 I would say the A plot of this film is about uh, an actor uh, named Rick Dalton. This is played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who in his heyday, 1950s, starred in television. A show called Bounty Law is what he's most famous for. Um, but in 1969, there's a shifting of eras that's happening. Uh, there's, you see hippies. Uh, obviously, one of the other plots here is, follows the, the Manson family and the, and the, the cult and, uh, and how and their uh, kind of interactions with the, uh, our primary leads that we're following. Um, and so you have Rick Dalton, who is finding himself in a position in his career that he's kind of being, he's on the out. He is not at the peak of his powers, and he's struggling to come to grips with that to maintain relevancy as an actor. 
it's a story about him in that journey as well as his stuntman best friend, uh, Cliff Booth, who is played by Brad Pitt. Uh, and in a w- it's in a such a remarkable pairing that I can't believe these two have never been in a movie before. Uh, is that true? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. I know. They feel like best friends. Don't they? That's how good I feel like I, kn- I, yeah. I feel like they've known each other for years, and this is like the second or third movie they've done with each other. That's that was the kind of chemistry yeah. it felt like was I was seeing. Totally. It's incredible. And so... It, so the Brad Pitt's character, Cliff Booth, is technically a stuntman, but really he's just like on the payroll. Yes, stuntman is his primary job, but he's just there to kind of be a gopher for Leonardo DiCaprio's character. They're friends, but he's just there to give him whatever he needs, drive him around because his license is house. suspended, watch yeah. his house, fix things. Like it's just a, they're pals, and a lot of this movie rev- revolves around that relationship, which is really interesting to me. And then I would say B or C, I don't know. B, the B plot is involves Sharon Tate, which is interesting because. Who's played by Margot Robbie? Yes, by, by Margot wonderfully Robbie. by uh, by Margot Robbie because Tarantino made a very specific choice about the way he wanted to portray Sharon Tate, which this is the dangerous area. Uh, and we're here with we're yeah we we have our own um, yeah big fans of Sharon Tate here uh, <laughs> Tate heads just like we're Tarantino heads. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the the bad press when the this movie was announced about just being made. Like Tarantino was going to be doing, telling the story about the Manson murders. Of course, that's all anyone wanted to talk about. He's going to be, you know, he's going to be, he's going to have no class. It'll be totally distasteful. He's going to show the murder of Sharon Tate and how, how dare he, when right? You, well, I mean, like, to be fair, when that news comes out that he's doing those, yeah. Yeah. you're kind of led to believe that, like, oh, gratuitous violence, this kind yes. of thing happened in L.A. Like, obviously, there's a pairing to be had. I don't think it's an unfair uh, connection. You're totally right. This is a man who's built a career on this gratuitous violence, pulpy, shocking type of... Uh, well, I mean, yeah. Look what he did to the great world leader, Adolf Hitler. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it was gratuitous in nature mm-hmm. how he had his characters murder the but, once great leader. <laughs> but, the, but the fact that he did that in, sure. in Glorious Bastards, I will say, That's really is the one thing in the back of my mind... Yeah. But to, to, to your point, Jeff, I think mm-hmm. that's fair for people to be like, uh-oh, uh-oh, Tarantino's doing this. And Tarantino's also known to not play by anyone's rules. He just does what he wants. Right. And so it's fair to be but like— But because he's that so much of a wild card, everyone goes, what is he going to do? What is do? he going to do? Not necessarily like he's going to do something bad, which he could well, do. No, people— But I think everybody was, what is he going to do? Yeah. Because it could go any direction that he chooses— and he now has the ability to go any direction with that content. And this is a man who killed Hitler. That's right. This is a man. Who, and I, honestly, I was thinking, he, this, he's killed Hitler. He, he can do anything. He and reveled All in it possibilities too. are on yeah. the table. Yep. And I remember, well, I remember thinking, like, Sharon Tate could survive this film. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't think that's what was going to happen. But, like, I, I remember thinking, like, anything could happen. Right. Uh, this is true. And the, and the thing is, like, you bring up um, it's, it's okay to just have these questions about his motivations or how he's going to handle it. And I think it is okay to ask those questions. The problem is he has so many detractors in the press that they make these bad faith assumptions. I think it's one thing to question how he's going to handle something. It's another thing to assume that he's going to handle it poorly, which there are, as we saw the press, his interactions with the press have not been great. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of people out there that don't like him. Yep. And maybe with good reason. 
that's fine if you don't like he's him. He's an unapologetic whatever. filmmaker. He's not. I mean, exactly. He doesn't want to play by. He is a guy that can be abrasive. Yeah. He has a, a singular vision, and he also has a big mouth. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that'll get him in trouble, and it has get, gotten him in trouble before. So, I, I can understand why you would have questions about how he's going to handle a, a sensitive subject like the most gruesome murder in the history of Hollywood. Um, but and, and did did you talk about uh, whether or not he was given permission? Yeah. From the family? So he, he did come out and say because there was a fair amount of negative press. He did come out and make it clear. Uh, and he did it in a very Tarantino way where he's like, I'm not giving away any plot points. I'm not even going to suggest what I'm planning to do with that yeah. character in that arc. But uh, he came out saying that he had the blessing of, I believe it's Sharon Tate's sister is like the closest, but that he had ha- showed them that part of the script or, or, or at the very least he explained what he planned on doing with the character, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And that they were uh, 100% in a- approved. And that's really, I mean, if anyone's concerned about that, that should alleviate that concern. Like, okay, if the family's in, that's, that's the most important if the people. the family says, okay, it's, yeah. I'm going to say, as a disinterested third party, yeah. it's okay. <laughs> so knowing that that's kind of a cloud, uh, not necessarily like a cloud over the, uh, uh, the coverage of the film, but it's in everyone's minds. Everyone's waiting to see why, what's going to happen here. I think what he did was uh, not just kind of, sub- not just subverted my expectations, uh, it really blew my mind, and, I'm, and we're going to get to the end, but I'm talking about even in the beginning here because this film goes rapid fire. We're following the, the two main leads in the A-plot we just talked about, and it's jumping around from that story between those two, which is uh, there's, there's a hierarchy here in the entertainment industry in L.A., right? There's the, the leading man, Leonardo DiCaprio, but he's aging out of this era, and he's having a crisis, and he's very emotional about it, but he lives in the Hollywood Hills next door to Roman Polanski and, his, and Sharon Tate, who are... Uh, they embody the the new young Hollywood, you know, like power the, couple. The power couple, exactly. Right? This is the they're ushering the new era, and he sees them. He, does, he hasn't even talked to them yet, and uh, they're just he, his neighbors. Just his neighbors, <laughs> and he views that as kind of like I'm I'm on my way. I'm a, he literally says to uh, Cliff Booth, "I'm a has been." That's right. Yeah, and and so there's that. He lives there. Cliff Booth, by the way, lives in a trailer behind a drive-in movie theater yes. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like an yeah. incredible place, actually, with a, with a great dog. The best dog. One yeah. of the best dogs in movie history. The first Tarantino dog. Betsy? Yeah. Uh, no. No, 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 no. It's with a B, though. Yeah. Um, I remember the, the headshot had the name. I'm forgetting what it is. Starts with a B, though. <laughs> uh, we'll look it up. Okay. But uh, anyway, so we get that, and then we get flashes to Sharon Tate. What's immediately clear in the footage of Sharon Tate is that he's the footage. It's filmed differently. Uh, everything about it is actually different because the character of Sharon Tate, played again marvelously by Margot Robbie, is she in every scene she is radiant, beaming, full of life and happiness. She's either dancing mm-hmm. or making someone happy. Constantly listening to music, yeah. just in her element. She is just at the pinnacle of enjoyment of her life. She is a, burgeon, a burgeoning movie star. She's not quite there yet, but she has a movie that's basically going to push her into it. And she's in a relationship with the hottest director in Hollywood. And like you said, there's a hierarchy there. There's a reason that Rick doesn't go over and talk to his literal neighbor yeah. that they share a driveway with. Yeah. It's because it's a hierarchy. He's just a TV actor. Yeah. He has no business in the Hollywood hierarchy of approaching a Roman Polanski, even though he... He understands that he needs Polanski because he flat out says like he he, he could put me in a movie movie and save my career. Um, so, yeah. It, and it's interesting because you have Tate on the on the uprise, yep. like uh, basically moving to L.A. with her superstar husband and um, 
enjoying the lifestyle. Like they go to a, the Playboy Mansion for a party. It's just it is that s- prototypical swinging 60s lifestyle. The carefree on top of the world enjoying all love, of love is love exactly yeah. loves being in love loves life has everything to live for and it's just the ideal nature of what you think a movie superstar would be there's even a shot of her sleeping and it's like i wouldn't say uncomfortably long but it's it's like weirdly placed but it's light it's lit in a way where it's like angelic it's almost like this like yeah. celestial lighting right but it's just, she's sleeping she's smiling right and it, it, it was done in such a way where regardless of how what was going to end like how the movie was going to end and what was going to happen to her character it was clear that tarantino really wanted to show her living like yes in a way that was like for someone that is primarily known about her death he wanted to he wanted to provide something that get people to think about the way she lived right she was and And so she's she's the light and he and rick is the darkness so that's how they counterbalance each other yeah, and so that dynamic is super fascinating mm-hmm. considering you're picking someone that is only known. They have a legacy. People know who they, they know her for one reason, and right. using her to counterbalance that in that way is like really interesting. Uh, part of the what's interesting there is that Margot Robbie, the acting, I guess it could be easily uh, construed to seem like she is it's a one note performance or that it's a kind of like very like because she's so happy, aloof, yeah. and mm-hmm. kind of like. And I could see someone misinterpreting that uh, in all the wrong ways. I don't think that's at all what he was trying, what, was, what Margot Robbie was doing in her performance or what Tarantino was trying to convey in the script. I think he just, he wanted to make it clear how radiant uh, she was, how energy, like we see her in so many different party scenes. Like I think there's a, a Playboy Mansion scene yes. that just kind of tracks her as she walks in and every, people are just enjoying themselves and having fun. And everywhere she goes, people are smiling. They're happy to see her. Yeah. But, no, you nailed it. You were you were talking about how she's known for her death, but yes. this movie was all about her life. Yes. And like the positiveness that she brought to not just like when she like was at a party, mm-hmm. but when she was sleeping, when she how was about, with her friends, mm. when she was in the movie watching yeah, her own movie. That's that that whole section. We get and a she lot was of footage. Loving it. Yeah. It keeps loving cutting it. back like it go we we jump to the back to Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth and there and then it would go back to her and she's she is in a movie theater showing one of her uh, recently released films with Dean Martin. That's Which fascinating the, uh, choice they chose to keep the original footage rather than dubbing her in. I, yeah, I, I can't tell you. spoke to that. I love that so much. So, yeah. so many of these things where you have these actors portraying real life characters and they show the footage or whatever and they superimpose the actor instead yeah. of the real life person. And they, they go full Anakin. I actually hate it. Yeah, it's the return <laughs> of the Jedi. It's removing, it's putting Hayden Christensen as a f- ghost. <laughs> But I, I'm uh, no, I yeah. You just I'm triggered. I'm, I'm sorry. so triggered was, right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might need to sit the rest of this out. Cut his mic. Cut his mic. You take it from here, down, big guy. You take it from here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna need a minute. <laughs> like, like Margot Robbie looks similar-ish enough to Sharon Tate. Like doesn't look really all like exactly like her. But it doesn't matter. Nope. They show the footage. And it's Sharon Tate in the movie, which I love. And then they show Margot Robbie reacting. I was like, I love that they're doing this. I, I can make, I make the connections the same person. They don't have to actually be superimposed. But they, Tarantino spends a lot of time showing her looking around as they're laughing at mm-hmm. her. She's the klutz, as she calls it, uh, the character that's kind of you know, falling yeah. over. And it's a lot of physical comedy and slapstick. And as people are laughing and she's looking around. and it's She's just, enjoying it. It's a it. sweet moment. Yeah. And it's all, made all the more interesting having just listened to that a podcast and an interview with Tarantino where he talks about uh, loving, 
like he loves doing that with his films to go and just to watch the audience to get their yeah. reaction and and that means a lot to him uh and in a lot of ways, watching that, it's like he's. This is something of a surrogate for Tarantino. Right, like, it's about Sharon Tate, but this is also personal. Like this is, Tarantino knows how important this is to an artist right. to see people appreciating their art. Well, I think it was a nice way to show that she was a person. Yeah, yeah. that she wasn't just a death. That yeah. she wasn't just a number. She wasn't just in the house. Right. That she was an actress who loved what she did. Yeah. And she wasn't like the person that she per- portrayed on the screen. She wasn't the klutz. She was the actress portraying a klutz to entertain people, and she loved doing it. She went to the theater, and Quentin didn't do her any favors. He didn't pretend that she was some big star that she wasn't. The movie people at the theater didn't know who she was. Didn't know yeah. who she was. And, and they had seen her before. Yeah. yeah. They had seen her before, and they still yeah. didn't know. And yeah. they're like, actually, you know, maybe you should take a photo next to the poster so that so people, people know. know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also, yeah. the way that she brought that up speaks to her sweetness. Yeah, of course. She, because yeah. she, she didn't have an ego about it. Yeah. She said, no. Uh, what if I'm in the movie? Can I get in for free? <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, I guess uh, I'm in this. So uh, can I get in? Can yeah. I watch it? <laughs> and yeah. it wasn't some like hot girl getting in with like yeah. a guy. It was like it was a movie person to movie person thing. Yeah. Which... I mean, God, inside baseball, we were. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, while we're talking to Sharon Tate, maybe we just finish the arc. Uh, yeah. With the, I don't think we have to go through the. Uh, we'll go back to the other parts of the movie. But this movie ends. <laughs> the, well, I'll back up a little bit. The, the, those scenes of her being radiant. And, and, and it's, it's just so fascinating the way he did that. But, it, but for me also, because I didn't know how it was going to end, it gave me this ominous doom and gloom feeling of this inevitability like oh no but where is this headed like right. i know how this ends for her in real life so it, it's feeling all the more of a bummer that someone this sweet this this uh, full of life mm-hmm. uh, is going to meet this premature and uncruel and unfair end except it doesn't <laughs> except <laughs> tarantino is telling a fairy tale tarantino is writing a love letter to hollywood he's telling the story and in the end he protects his heroes he protects the movie stars yeah Sharon Tate doesn't die at the end of this movie. (laughs) And it's a subversion. Pregnant. Pregnant, Sharon Tate. Very pregnant. Like eight months, eight and a half months, very pregnant. Seeing her when there was the, there's a moment in the film where there's like a six months later and then she's pregnant. Seeing her pregnant. I remember in the movie theater looking at you going, oh no. Oh no. no. I was, oh. Here it comes. I I got just, I had knots in my stomach. I wasn't sure if I was more scared for, uh, her being pregnant or the dog. Oh, yeah. You just because everything's on the table with Tarantino. Truly, it was all on the table. Tarantino's capable of doing any of these. Like, I just you have no idea. Reservoir what's Dogs. Happen. First movie. No one lives. Spoiler. <laughs> 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 and so I, I love that he's a filmmaker that's willing to do anything. He does. He's not safe. And so he gets to tell his own story, do whatever he wants, and he can choose to subvert our expectations or not. Uh, and he and. You know, because he obviously there's a precedent. He killed Hitler in Inglorious Bastards. Like we know he <laughs> can the do the best way he possible. Can mess with his. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like he, he's not looking to tell uh, an, a rec- uh, actual a true re- history. Re- history. Yeah, of it. yeah. But the way he does it, inserting the fictional characters of Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth, and how their existence in this world that he's written and created uh, ends up thwarting what would have been the premature death of Sharon Tate and three other people, uh, is done in like it's a, it's both. Um, inspiring, surprising, hilarious, and ultimately heartwarming and emotional. Because at the end, 
you see Emil Hirsch, who plays a character who's a real life person who's one of the victims of the, those murders. And Emil Hirsch is just like asking uh, Leonardo DiCaprio like what had happened with the Manson people. They had no idea what was going on that night. It, it, the ending in that way, and we'll talk more about the ending, but specifically the fact that Sharon Tate lived through this film. She, by the end of this movie, she's still alive. She doesn't know yet that her husband's an uh, absolute monster, but... Um, She'll find out soon. Who will still go on to win an Oscar for The Pianist. Uh, yeah, a but, true hero. Uh, and, and get a, an amazing letter signed by hundreds of people, hundreds of A-list actors and, and uh, movie people to yeah. bring him back. <laughs> but, uh, but, but Tarantino did get a shot in at Polanski. Oh, she done, sure did. Done via Steve, Steve McQueen, played by Damien uh, Lewis. Damien Lewis. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say Chazelle, but that's not right. Yeah. <laughs> I've called him Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis, yeah. <laughs> I mean, tomato, tomato. Um, <laughs> the same difference. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I, that, the fact that Tarantino can write... I, a fairy tale might not be the right way to describe it, but obviously the Once Upon a Time kind of moniker makes me describe it that yeah, way. he's playing with it too. But yeah, yeah. But keeping them alive, being like... He, the, the power of cinema, for Tarantino to use this art form to say, okay... This person, Sharon Tate, who should be known for uh, the way she lived her life and for her career as an actress, is instead known for this crazy, gruesome, seemingly random murder. Mm -hmm. And that sucks. And you can't control your legacy uh, when you're acted upon by bad people. Uh, and so Tarantino takes that and it's like, okay, well, uh, I'm going to... I'm going to create her legacy the way it should have been. I'm going to make a movie that shows not just how she lived her life, but that, yeah, she's going to live. And maybe this movie will be remembered and it'll be a big enough uh, film in the kind of film history and canon that when people think about Sharon Tate, they'll think about her in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and not right. about the fact that she was a victim of the Charles Manson murder. Like, and his I, reach for nine movies and this being like Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, there is a good chance that that is the legacy. Yeah. That is the legacy. That's incredible. I mean, think about all the, the young people that watch this movie that have no idea who Sharon Tate is or that she was murdered. Yes. They're going to think that she, she lived. Like, they're going to Google her name <laughs> like, after seeing this movie and say, oh, like, what happened to her? <laughs> that is a sad Google search. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't go down that rabbit hole. Exactly. Don't do it. But, so Don't pa pause the podcast and so search that, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know uh, from the criticism that Tarantino took from his playing with history in Inglorious Bastards, what did he say? Like, in my world, if the bastards were real people, they would have killed Hitler. Yeah. So he, sa he says it's not a fantasy. Inglorious yes. Bastards, he doesn't view it as a fantasy. He views it as, no, th this is based on real events because if my characters actually had existed in real yeah. life, they would have done these things, which ended in Hitler's death. So that would have happened if my character... Like, talk about confidence in the Yeah, well, that's, that's an extension of that thought, if right? If Dalton and Cliff Booth existed then Sharon Tate's alive, and so that's the story he's telling. Yeah. But really, though, using fictional, uh, fictional story and, and filmmaking to change a real-life legacy and real-life story is remarkable. And yeah. I honestly think that's what he's done. I think when all is said and done and years go on, that's, what will, that's part of the legacy of this film is that Sharon's, Sharon Tate's legacy changes. Like, that's amazing to me. And she's much more celebrated, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. I mean, yeah. because it's right now she's synonymous with the murder. It's, a little, it's like who it's wants a little to be meta. Known like that? It's it, a little meta yeah. to like use the same medium that yeah. she used to uh, create a name to uh, change the story. Yep. And by the, the way, how, how much screen time did Charles Manson have in this film? Ten. 
15 minutes? Six. Four. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, if, if anything, it's closer Charles? to four. Charles Manson. <laughs> oh, yeah. Charles the actual Manson. Charles Manson. The mythology no. of this crazy like, serial killer. Maybe he had two scenes, pretty brief. Yes. One where it actually was up front. You see his yes. face. The other one's just kind of behind his head. Right. Very brief. And in a way that was so clear that like he had no Tarantino had no interest in contributing to the mythology of Charles Manson. Mm-mm. And like I loved that flex. It's amazing. It just wasn't it's an amazing about him. power move. Uh, yeah, really. For the Tarantino's making a Charles Manson movie to Charles Manson's barely in this thing. Yeah, I mean the cameo. The scene that he had the shot he has in the trailer is essentially half of his appearance in the actual final movie. <laughs> I amazing. mean he gets the reaction wave, which is Yep. The end of a scene that yep. he's in, his big scene, basically, and that's it. He really only has one big moment where he interacts with uh, Sharon and just and a little buddy. bit too, really briefly. That's and it, it. Was it that moment was very like, ooh, the foreshadowing, you know? Tarantino, it does feel yeah. very ominous. Yeah, but yeah, but he knew what he was doing. Of course, he knew what course. he was doing. Uh, I think uh, uh, there was the other podcast that talked about how he plays with our idea of actors and their roles and. I, I mean, maybe it's just a Hollywood thing, too, but both with Sharon Tate, with Leonardo DiCaprio, especially with, with, with Charlie. But, like, yeah. he just messed with all of us yeah. and all of our expectations. And thank you. <laughs> yeah, so, no kidding. I want to talk about Brad and Leo now. Uh, and I want to talk about those, their characters. And I also I'm gonna, I want to just think about it. I'm going to give you a little bit of a heads up. Best scene in the film. So... Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of good ones, so I want you to think about that. I'm gonna ask that, but first, yeah. Brad, uh, Brad and Leo. Um, while we were waiting in line at the New Beverly going in, we were playing just these fun, you know, cinephile games, <laughs> like, uh, what's the best Brad performance? Don't look it up. Don't look up the filmography off the top of your head. What's what's your favorite Brad, you know, or yeah, Brad Pitt performance? And so, Jeff, you asked, did you ask Leo or Brad? I first? asked both. Okay, yeah, yeah, because yeah. I'm I'm all about just like kind of getting hyped for a movie and kind of an organic way and yeah it's kind of a nice way to like kind of show where you are at before the movie and then where you're at bef- after the movie too because like there's yeah. a lot of like recency bias sure like afterwards and so it's kind of nice to have that barometer of like where you were at beforehand um but uh yeah i mean i i said that like i really loved uh snatch and fight club for yeah. for brad pitt you gave and me crap for my picks, if I recall. I did. Yeah. Well, no, I just called them. I called Too, them. Uh, <laughs> I called them a little safe. Happy. You're like those are like happy. happy I was like they I were very happy. Jar- well, it's funny because if I were actually were to look at the filmographies of both those guys and be like, this is my favorite movie or performance, it would have been different than what I had responded with. But I love the idea of like what my gut instinct was. Yeah. For Leo, I said, catch me if you can. Right. For Brad, I said, uh, I mean, Seven was such an important film, but I went with Ocean's Eleven because I I think it's quintessential Brad Pitt. And, and you were like, like I what? didn't mean any offense by it, but I just said like nobody is like crapping on uh, <laughs> Catch Me If You Can or Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> yeah, for good reason because that's <laughs> very the best yeah, yeah, exactly. Rotten Which Tomatoes, ninety nine, what ninety eight? <laughs> <laughs> well, if Catch Me If You Can is released in two thousand nineteen on the uh, on the Rotten Tomatoes mm. uh, scale, it's a one hundred. One hundred. It's 100, a one hundred with hundreds of Damn. certified reviews. That's right. That's right. Um, the yeah, power of so. Tom Hanks and Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. uh, but and Leo, I I know this is going to sound like a severe recency bias, but I I I mean this in the most sincere and authentic way. And you can go personalized on this if you want to tell the story. Well, I just I I leaned over to you in the yes. 
Yeah, halfway through the movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, we had talked about, like, what our answers were and stuff, and, and David was sitting next to me, looks over to me, and goes, I want to change my answer. And I looked over, and I said, me too, because I was watching Leo being a tour de force, and it was changing my answer for my favorite Leo movie. And uh, David's response was like, no, I want to change my answer for both. <laughs> yes. I, 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 and you know what? I mean it still. I, I actually mean it. <laughs> yeah. Even this watching the second half of the film. I'm not calling you wrong. Like, yeah, no, I know, but that's that's no, it's speaking to the It's on the table. It's speaking to how good this movie is. Yes. And uh what's in also interesting getting out of the movie, I uh, I I commented that I was surprised that this felt like this Brad Pitt's movie. That this was Cliff Booth's movie and you were like, "Wow, I felt like yeah, this I, was Leo's. I felt like that was Leo's movie." And both of them are so 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 good. So 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 good. Uh, and I, I, I think when I leaned over to you, what, it, what had happened is that there was a moment in the movie, and since we're talking spoilers, I, I feared for the life of, of Cliff Booth. I thought <laughs> his character was going to come to an unceremonious oh, end. Yeah. I've known him for oh, 45 yeah. minutes and, and I can't was, die. I was panicking. <laughs> I was panicking. And this is great. This character, Cliff Booth, is Brad Pitt is so good in this role. Uh, playing, uh, you know, he is the second banana to, to Leo, but Leo's the neurotic actor who's very fragile, right. and he is like the carefree. I'm not taking BS from anyone, uh, which, which is amazing because he's not just his houseboy, his errand boy, he's his, his buddy. stunt man. He's his buddy, yeah. but he's also his hype man. Like yeah. it's so Brad is an alpha male, mm -hmm. and Leo is an alpha, but Brad props his guy up. Yeah, it's not about shining his own light. He says, like, even in the trailer, he says, you're Rick Dalton. Like, remember that, yeah, essentially. Yeah. Don't you forget. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't ever forget that. And he does it throughout the entire movie. He pumps him up. He pumps up his guy because they're in it together. That's what's They're boys. You talk, you talk about the pecking order, you yeah. know, like the, the Polanski and Tate represent something. And then, you know, Rick Dalton is here. And then the stuntman in the trailer. The, the funny thing is, is like... Brad Pitt is not unhappy in his role. This isn't about the, oh, I'm down on the pecking order here and I'm unhappy. He, he is 100% content with where he is at. And honestly, from the trailer, I actually thought that that was what the movie was going to be. Oh. Like, because, I, I mean, you guys only let me watch the teaser trailer. <laughs> yeah. Watch volume one to find the full story. <laughs> <laughs> Tease. But, uh, yeah, no, I was under the assumption that that was the uh, entire story. Was It was a story about a stuntman feeling overlooked by somebody who was getting all of the acclaim, the main actor, who was Leonardo DiCaprio, which in another movie could have been a whole thing. Mm -hmm. But instead, Quentin tells this beautiful story, beautiful, beautiful story of a friendship, not just like a buddy-like comedy but of like a beautiful male-to-male -male friendship. Yeah, right? and it's exemplified in one of the scenes where, because we're, we're talking about Rick Dalton being fragile and uh, on the way out, and he's like panicking about what to do uh, with his career, what choices to make, and, and he has an opportunity to work uh, with Kurt Russell, uh, this character, uh, but Kurt Russell does not want his Cliff Booth, his stuntman, doesn't, he, he doesn't, doesn't dig, dig him, vibe. doesn't dig the vibe he brings to his set. And you would think Rick Dalton, a character like Rick Dalton, would... Uh, would just cower and be like, okay, I, I need the work, so I'm going to throw Cliff under the bus. But he does not do that. Nope. Nope. 
he he's ride or die together and uh, he fights for him yeah and and rick dalton very much is wouldn't do it is not going to do it without him and that's like pretty remarkable uh they they clearly have a, a mutual respect that uh, they can really really feel uh and i really really love that um for me it felt like brad's movie part partly because <laughs> like in the, it's in the first act of the film he there's a scene stealing moment uh, maybe we can kind of transition a little bit to our favorite scenes. Yeah. Uh, but it, for me, it was like the first real, oh, yeah, I'm in a Tarantino movie. Oh, yeah. Did you guys have the same reaction to the scene totally. I'm talking about? Totally. Aaron, why don't you? Yeah, totally. I mean, like Tarantino has made his bones on basically building scenes and then or, or creating these amazing sequences and then building a filler movie between those amazing sequences like those that's his hallmark he has these amazing moments these amazing interactions and so you're always waiting for that in a movie that he makes and we the first time we get one is like you said they're on that movie said and kurt russell says brad pitt he says no to brad pitt as a stuntman and uh so brad goes back to the house to work on on a task and he's like ruminating on like what what happened? Why, why did that, why doesn't he want to work with me? And then he comes up with a flashback sequence where they're working on green, green Hornet. Yeah. Um, and he's interacting with Bruce Lee between takes and it is, it's probably my second favorite moment in the movie. It's just an amazing interaction between Brad and Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee is, um, just talking about how he could beat up beautifully any man. portrayed, by the way, uh, an incredible portrayal. Yeah, great. Mike, what's Mike Mo, uh, Michael Mo is the name of the. Never uh, seen the actor before, yeah, but he really nails good job. Bruce Lee. Fantastic. Yeah, and Bruce is like just pure ego in this moment, and he's talking about how he can literally beat up any man in the world, and he brings up Sonny Liston. <laughs> he's Sonny Liston, Cassius Clay, and Joe Lewis, like the three heavyweight champions yeah. of the era. And he says, I can beat up Cassius any man. Clay, also, like, a really cool flex for the time. Right. Yeah. Though, I think he was going by Muhammad Ali by that point. 60, but, but I don't know the exact date. It feels dates, like Tarantino would have got that right, and I would be wrong. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, because in the early 60s, I thought, is when the... Uh, anyway, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he literally says, I would cripple him yes, in a fight. He sure does. It's, uh, and what's I, the response to that when he makes that claim? So, um, no one says anything. And Except Brad Pitt laughs for Brad Pitt, <laughs> who laughs, and Bruce is—he wants to know why. Did I yeah. say something why? funny? Did I say something? Why would funny? you be laughing at that? My hands are listed as weapons, <laughs> as lethal weapons. <laughs> yeah, so and, we, and we see that scene in the trailer, and it, uh, but it's such a, it's such an it's amazing a, yeah, scene. I mean, it's and it's Brad. The little things Brad does. Because the Bruce Lee says, "Did I say something funny?" And he goes, "Yeah, you did." <laughs> <laughs> and he just like doesn't, because like, he's trying to be like, you know, in, he's trying to intimidate, like, "Oh, did I say something funny?" And you're used to people being like, "Oh no," they're trying to like, "Oh no, no, no forget well, about he's it." The star but he's of the just show. Like, yeah, you <laughs> did. I know you're Bruce Lee, but like, I don't care. I'm Cliff Booth, and I'm just you, what you said was ridiculous, right? And so then it escalates into essentially Bruce Lee challenging him to a fight, and he's just like, "Let's go!" Like, right? Yeah. Uh, he's like, "I think that's a great idea," and. Uh, and it's a scene that is like uh, basically throws uh, throws Bruce Lee against the car, yeah. and dents the entire side of it, which 
uh, of course, is the car of Kurt Russell's wife, which goes back to why Kurt Russell doesn't want him on any of the movie sets. Right. And then it goes right back to a shirtless Brad on the roof fixing uh, Rick Dalton's uh, antenna being like, well, what, the oh. line, the line killed in the, especially in the theater. What was it? Like, fair enough. Fair enough. Or fair enough. Sound about right. Or fa- is it fair, fair enough. enough. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this. Well, because he went from contemplative, like, why doesn't he like me? And then he remembers it. And then he's like, oh, yeah, that's. Uh, fair, fair enough. enough. That's a good reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So there's another reason that uh, uh-huh. Kurt Russell's wife doesn't like yeah. Cl- uh, Cliff. The what was that? Cliff. Just rumors. It's hearsay is all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get that quick insert shot of, uh, well, there's a, it's a line that's, um, Kurt says that uh, he murdered his wife. And, yeah. Yeah. and, and, and Rick, with it. Right? And that's he got away with it. Idea. Exactly. And Rick says, no, that's just a rumor. You don't believe rumors, do you? And he says, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah, I do. But then yeah. they show the scene yes. that leads up to whether or not it may or may not have happened. And it do- doesn't show him murdering his wife. And I want to take a quick poll around the room. Did he kill his wife? Kill. Uh, uh, did he kill uh, his yes, wife? He did. <laughs> Tec- well, yeah. Here, I'll help you guys it's, out. It's heavily because in- they said it- he killed his wife and got away with it. Yeah. That means he killed his wife and he got away with it. Mm. Probably. Probably. Yeah. So this is what's interesting. <laughs> but like, what's funny about this is that scene played for laughs. And it's, it's, it is funny, but it's also a very Tarantino, like, uh, this is going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. I'm yeah. going to do it because this is, this is a, a character you're supposed to like. Right. What I'm suggesting he may have done is like a pretty bad thing. Uh, and, uh, and, but it's funny. And I think it's funny. And I think it fits in here. And he, and he puts it in there. And it's, that's... Uh, that's a very like Tarantino, like oh yeah, people are gonna give you crap about this like type of choice, right? But uh, yeah, again, well, I can't wait for the rewatch because I want to see what the circumstance was for him to hold that harpoon. I just, I just, <laughs> I just love that he didn't show whether or not it happened. Yeah, he they don't the show. Scene, well, so you, what was nice was there like the water was bouncy. Yes, like it was so bouncy, and he was holding it, and it was aimed at her. That you're like. Yeah. Yeah, this looks it bad. It could have been an accident. Yeah. I'm I'm on team. They they hit a pretty big wake, um, <laughs> and she went overboard, and he tried, it it, despite a, his it best hit efforts. a pretty big wave right. of you are being really annoying. Yes, yeah, yeah, pretty big wave so, of, yeah. I mean, the initially, we're supposed to believe that it could have possibly not happened, but later in the movie, I think we understand that it definitely did happen <laughs> because there's a scene where he's with the young girl who offers him uh, sex and he specifically says how old are you and he he goes on to say that i've avoided jail to this point in my life oh, and i'm not. never gonna go there be, because it of you be because of you and i didn't, didn't make like, that connection weren't yeah. they talking to kurt russell and he says he's a war hero yeah yeah oh, i love it yeah so yeah. then aren't you led to believe that he's essentially killed people he's definitely like, killed before yeah, but yeah. Bad he's, yeah he's definitely killed there. before so um, yeah but when he talks about again. being cautious about staying out of jail yeah, that means he he covered every <laughs> angle, and he's thought about so this before. Funny. I just yeah. thought he talked about other more like smaller type of like petty crime. <laughs> Didn't realize murder. That, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I still think I'm still ha- team hashtag innocent. Um, but well, this uh, is that's a testament to what a great character this is. I love, written I really by like char- this character. Yeah, like it, I said, I, when the I the guy ju- murdered his wife, and he might be all of our favorites. Yes, yeah, that's talk, talk yeah. about Tarantino writing. A, he writes. He challenges us in a way that's like, yeah, I want you to love this character, but I'm going to give you a lot of reasons not to. The you ultimate make me feel anti-hero. sick, Quentin. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah. Still shook his hand like a right. man. Right. <laughs> Thank you for making me feel yeah. this weird way. Yeah. 
So, um, so that's the that, that scene with Bruce Lee, though, is the scene stealing moment. I would say if you're if you're taking one, like if, you don't even need context really. You could just that's a YouTube clip that's going to be shared so much. It's going to be there's going to be gifts. There's going to be memes. It's it's such a moment. I'm curious, what other scenes for you? What would you say your very favorite scene is? And if that's too hard, just like you know, whatever whatever's top of mind. I can I, I'll tell you for I'll tell you mine. If, sure. Yeah, that'll help. I mean, this goes to why I leaned over to you and said I wanted to change my answer for both. Yeah, because I actually don't know what sparked that. It was well, we were so this is um, it's Brad Pitt or Cliff Booth. I should just commit to calling him by his character's name. <laughs> Picks up the hitchhiker, uh, and uh, takes her to the spot Spawn's Ranch. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Spawn's Ranch, movie ranch or whatever. Which he used to shoot at. So he mentions that he had some history there eight years ago. He had shot some films there. He's with familiar George. with where, He's like, I yeah. know where it is, and and he goes in and he he pulls in and. And uh, I love any time in the movie that you see the Manson family, cult members, or whatever. The music changes a little bit. It, the frame goes a little more diagonal in the yeah. in this, which is like really uh, makes kind of a creepy culty vibe. Uh, and uh, he pulls up and he basically sees all these hippies. And throughout this movie, hippies are just the punching bag of like basically the representative of the new era of people, like the yeah. future. But also. It's a kind of a gag, the way they right. talk about them um, and just the derision towards them. But he pulls up and sees all of them, and immediately he's got the skeptical look of like, okay, this Something. is. And then we come to find out he knows the guy who owns that land, a guy named George. And George probably would never in a million years allow a crowd of hippies to stay for free on his big property. Yeah. As you can imagine, like big Well, George is 85 plus years old. Yes. We don't, and these yeah, hippies are teenage girls. Right. And, and so he, sticks, <laughs> he, st- he doesn't just drop her off and go. He sticks. Her, he meets a couple of people that you can see the uh, Manson people kind of getting nervous about. Keep your eye on this guy. Make, hopefully he just just drop, you know, turns around and leaves. And then he starts asking questions and suspense is building. And I'm starting to get my heart like is pounding because he starts asking questions about George. And it does in the sly way that's like, you know, I know. Is George still around? I, I, he's an old friend from eight years ago. And like he says it in a way that's like. I, I think I know that he's murdered and you yes. guys did something yes. and I'm yes. not leaving until I actually get to the bottom of mm-hmm. it. Instead of just being like, oh, crap, something bad happened. Here. I'm going to bounce and like maybe call the authorities or something. Yeah, he's he played keeps, a, playing a little chess there. Yeah. And he asks question about questions like, so you wouldn't mind if I went up and just knocked on the door and said hi to George, would you? And they're all like freaking out. And he's napping. He's napping. And he's <laughs> That's like the story. Yeah. It, just this and whole, they all it, look just, incredibly guilty while, while yeah. saying that. And it just I love the way. Uh, Brad Pitt just emotes in this because just the look on his face like yeah I, I'm coming in and you're not stopping me. real right. quick like, poll uh, at this point where was everyone thinking was happening to George so George to, in my mind so it was interesting. at this point so it's a good question because at that moment I realized Bruce Stern who's built in this movie we have not seen him at this point and yeah. George at that point I got I gathered he was old and I thought like oh this is Bruce Stern and he's gonna be, it's gonna be a dead carcass Bruce Stern's going to be in this movie yeah. as a dead Old body. Old psycho, yeah. And, I, and I'm thinking, uh, this is the end of Cliff Booth. This is the end of Brad Pitt. The, he dies in this moment. I mean, there's, there's about an hour left in the film, I want to say. Yeah, just But, about. like, if you, if you look at Django, the, the moment the crap hits the fan, the, the, the Leo and uh, Christoph Waltz scene, it's like 45 minutes left in the movie. It's not at the end. Really? There's, well, there's, there's a l- 45 minutes after that? quite a bit. It's yeah. quite a bit. It's like the beginning of the third act type of thing. Like, and, and that's one of the things Django subverted my expectations is the, is the big moment, the shoe drop. You're, wa- you know, you're waiting for it. That one came earlier than I had anticipated. 
And once again, Quentin is playing. He's playing. On your expectations. 3D chess. <laughs> so I'm thinking, Cliff Booth, this is it. And I wasn't ready to say goodbye to this character. I, I, I legitimately wasn't. I was like, oh, this sucks. I, I really like, you know, I was so bummed. And that's, I, I turned to you. That's what sparked it was like, yeah, this is Pitt's. Pitt made me fall in love with this character that may or may not have murdered his wife in like yeah, just yeah, two yeah, thirds yeah. of the movie. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, of course, uh, as the story goes. Aaron, uh, what were you thinking happened to George? Oh, yeah. Same thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I thought, no, I thought there was no George. I didn't think George was existed. You didn't go I thought he was a Bruce Dern route? No, I thought he was, we might see a picture of him or uh, maybe we saw his dead body, but I really thought he was like buried in the back somewhere. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. At the point in which he goes into the room and he hits him and you see him move in such a way that like, okay, obviously this guy's alive. He's breathing. At that point, what were you thinking? Uh, I still was thinking Dakota Fanning's a liar. Yeah. <laughs> but how much, to what extent the lie, you know. I uh, thought he might just be out of it, uh, like basically comatose, drugged, yeah, drugged yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, no. It, everything she had said about him being blind and tired and taking his nap so he could watch FBI. All of it was true. Everything she said was true. And he walks out. Amazing. Then, uh, Brad does that thing. Uh, he walks out and, and uh, the hitchhiker girl that they, they struck a mini friendship. She's like, you embarrassed me. And he's like, yep. Uh, and she's like, you should leave. Way ahead of you. I'm like, <laughs> I acknowledge I was wrong. <laughs> you know, like, I am Yeah, he here. actually does apologize. Yeah, he, he says, does. sorry he about that. Kind of, he's got this look <laughs> in his face like, well, well that was, I'm this embarrassing. Yeah. I, I was wrong. I was so sure. And like, uh, whoops. Uh, he still thinks that obviously something is weird going on, right, but like right. not a murdered body. But um, yeah, anyway, yeah. yeah. So that that whole sequence, this the subversion of expectations, the whole Manson family thing, yeah. like uh, the background of how the creepiness, of what was going on, everything about Brad Pitt's character, seeing through all of the BS, uh, and then uh, me, honestly, like it was for me, I was on the edge of my seat, like between that and of course the the final scene of the like the big uh, uh, set piece at the end of the film. The moments where I'm just like, my heart is pounding and I'm really nervous and this is really thrilling. Like, incredible. So that, that's a st uh, standout scene for me. It's amazing, so. amazing se sequence. What about you guys? For me, it's like, uh, well, just to speak about like why I feel like this is a dual lead movie and why their characters are so interesting and why we root for them both is they're both on adventures. Yeah. Like, Cliff is on a literal adventure where he gets mixed up with the Manson family. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that's a literal adventure, and Rick is on his own personal journey. It's not as glamorous, but in a way, it's more glamorous because he's a literal hit a movie star. Yeah. So, like that is such an interesting way to intertwine their stories and make them parallel. Um, both give them their own adventures, and the reason I think that I liked Leo a little more in this is because his performance. I felt both the performances are outstanding, mm -hmm. like un real performances that they that they were bo both on the top of their game i just feel like leo had a little more meat yeah. to work with um by design so i think it's probably his movie but i would say my favorite sequence and sequences are the stuff where leo uh or the actor rick gets inserted into actual old f film footage that stuff blew my mind well, how many times did it happen it happened at least Okay, so, so we had escape. Uh, actually wait, did it happen twice? I, th I only remember the one. So it happened three times. What? Top of my head. What? So the first yeah. one is he gets inserted. Do you remember this, David? No. So he gets inserted into the movie The Great Escape, yes. which is one of the greatest movies of all time. 
Yes. Yeah, and the reason it, 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 it comes about is because he's interacting with a character that he's working with in a new TV show, and the guy says, weren't you up for the role that Steve McQueen so got good. in The Great Escape? And he reluctantly recalls the process, and he tries to downplay it and says, oh, well, yeah, it was, me and, it was down to me and three other guys, but we never got the part. But in his head, you get a flash of him literally being in the movie The Great Escape. So they, they de-age Leo, and they put him in the role, and it's like something out of Forrest Gump, essentially, but it's way better. It's better because you literally have the actor of our generation playing the actor of that generation. Sure, exactly, exactly. Uh, and it's amazing. It fits, and by it, the way. <laughs> it's perfect. It's so, so good. It tickled me in a way that I wasn't ready for. I basically squealed in my seat. We heard. It we were next so, to you. So good. Well, so did Quentin. It was just. A, it was yeah. also just an effective way of showing how, like you know, it was. It was uh, driving home the point of like the mistake, like the what could have been part yeah. of his career, and and I'm imagining him in his head inserting his audition, the practices he yeah. would have done to try to when he thought he was gonna get it. Yes. And then he sees the movie with Steve McQueen and inserting himself that what he would have done, and yeah. we're just getting quick flashes of that. Of right. his mind of what he's seeing, like that's huge moment, a huge moment in in the Great Escape when uh, when he when the character one of the characters gets caught and he gets assigned to uh, go in the cooler for like thirty days or whatever. Right, it is. it's been a while since I've seen the movie. Movie, but he he's uh, Steve McQueen's character in that moment um, pushes back against the the leader of the camp and demands respect. Like he. He gets caught and he says, yeah, I'll take your punishment, but you got to respect me because I'm a captain or a lieutenant or whatever he was. And he flashes his bars. Um, so this is an iconic scene. And to put Leo in that scene in this movie, which is, I mean, it was so such a, a stroke of genius. I absolutely loved it. And it, it just made me so happy to see. Now, it happened two other times. One, when Leo goes to, to Rome. And mm. he's an actor in these Roman spaghetti western spaghetti action movies that are really bad. So they took the foot. I, I believe this is how they did. It. They took footage of these actual bad Roman Italian movies, and then they did insert shots of Leo being in the scene. So oh, so those were real movies that he was in as well. Yeah, so I'm just not familiar with those movies sure. to know for sure. That, sure, but that's, it I guess too maybe that's authentic why to yeah. be yeah. saying. Yeah, you're probably like, right. That wasn't like a made-up movie. That was a no. movie that he was dubbed in a similar fashion as Greatest Game. Right. So it's, yeah. yeah, it's an insert yeah. shot. They of were him real directors on the poster. Yeah. Stuff, so so yeah, this yeah. stuff was just too real to be faked. And then also in the FBI TV show when he's in the back of the car, I believe they used. Oh, oh you think stuff. that was a real? I think part of that was actually a real episode. Oh. Like in my mind, I think it was too authentic looking. To be phony. Very well could have. I, um, I would make the argument that I bet you that that was maybe the FBI Quentin episode. May It's possible. It's possible that they shot a full episode for that. But it, I think it was too it was, grainy yeah, it's looking. It's on the table, at least. It would also be like Quentin to do just this deep pull of, like, this is his favorite episode <laughs> from years ago. No one's going to sure. know it but him. Right. And he superimposes Leo, and, and that, it's for him. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so that's a great scene for me because... They're so uh, Cliff and Rick are watching that scene yeah. together, and they're also commentating it, like Fantastic. while it's happening. Oh so God. those are like three of my favorite scenes in the entire movie, and I feel like they're connected together because Them, it's, oh, it's yeah. Rick that's, acting. That's great. And just just to quickly piggyback on that, one of the things that I loved about the Great Escape thing is that, <laughs> I mean, we can all kind of dream of like, oh, I wonder what Leo would have yep. done playing this role. Yep. But unfortunately, that's not what we got. 
we got what would happen if Rick played oh, that role. Sure. Yeah. 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 And that's almost more of a testament to how good Leo is that we didn't see what Leo would do. We saw what Rick would do playing this part. Right. And <laughs> that's so layered in such a way that it's inception level stuff. Oh like my it's, gosh. it's a dream within a dream stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so like, I, uh, again, like not to personalize this even more, but Aaron, we could, we could all hear you. And I know how much that movie means to you. And I know how much Leo means to you. And to see both of those happen at the same time. That was right up you, my alley. Like, that was made for you. Those yeah. Is, is your loudest response in the whole film? By far. Yeah. By far. Audibly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I imagine maybe yeah. more stuff was going, like, inside. But, like, you couldn't control yourself at that point. It was <laughs> That was the moment for me. Like, that's <laughs> when I knew this is one of the greatest movies I've ever yeah. seen in my life. <laughs> yes. That, was, that yes. was the moment for me when I said, I am so 100% bought into awesome. this. Yeah, um, I, I love what what's happening on the screen right now. Everything. Yeah. So, yeah. Your favorite so scene. Um, uh, and I feel great because I feel like all three of us have had kind of different uh, points that we loved. And I don't think either, any of us would argue that the points that either of us made aren't like one of our favorite yeah, parts all great. of the movie. But the part that at least uh, uh, stole it from me was the entire arc. Of, of Rick on set Ooh. trying to uh, uh, work on that Western movie where he's the villain, he's the big bad, he's got his mustache. It's a movie. It's not a TV show. This is what he chose. And he goes through the whole thing. He knows his lines. He's practiced them. I mean, he get to, did get really drunk the night before. <laughs> Very drunk, <laughs> yeah. But we were going through the whole process. In any case, like the entire process of him going to the set, makeup sitting next to the little girl who we'll definitely talk about as far as like yeah uh, st scene yeah. stealers yeah, that great. were not top Terrific. build but the scenes in which he was portraying that character and we were watching like the acting of the scene being filmed not necessarily what's on screen but being filmed him messing up a few parts, being upset with himself, going back and doing a tour de force performance, the likes of which we all discussed was more um, Leo in that like he raised the bar on what could have been a good average performance to a great all time. You won't forget this performance like stands alone to me. <laughs> And like, that's that's when I reciprocated to David that uh, just Le Leo is incredible to me. I mean, a lot of this pod is talking about you know Tarantino and his vision and what he was able to pull off, but the talent that he has working for them, <clears throat> excuse me, is second to none and is the best of Hollywood right now. Not in the next 10 years. It's right now. And Leo is the best actor working today. And I think that if you pulled 10 people, eight or nine of them would say the same thing. If not, they're either not educated or, or, or <laughs> lying to you. Um, but he pulled it off. Both Leo and Tarantino. And, and that, that whole um, arc... 
and that scene and what he was able to pull off. And we, we've a little bit, we've divulged a little bit into this about like spoilers within trailers, but they actually have that end scene that is the biggest payoff where he yeah. says, uh, where the little girl who's a, yeah, <laughs> gonna be a great actor. She had scolded him previously about like basically getting his crap together, mm-hmm. bringing his A game. She whispers to him, "That was the best acting I've ever seen." Yeah, and you see, like in that moment, him he cries, he <laughs> cries, he cries, and, and he, you, you know, it, it was the best acting she yeah. had ever seen in yeah. her in her like young life. Though that's yeah. the thing is, like I believe that that's the best acting she had ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> It was incredible. And uh, I mean, you want to talk about meta commentary because <laughs> the, the moment before that where they call it, uh, he said something about being like Hamlet or something like that. Yeah, Shakespeare, of, Hamlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More Hamlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, th- I mean, that's what it is. Like, that's Leo giving his Shakespeare performance and then it, it culminates in that in that moment. So, yeah. I it's thought, seeing the trailer, so I, it looked like a scene that was going to be just played for laughs and yes, comedy. Exactly. But little did I know that they would do the scene that only, to your point, Jeff, I think only Leo can do that, actually, like what he did there, yeah. which was successfully do this, like, this meltdown, like, I'm st- stuttering a little bit, I'm acting. You can tell, tell I'm a good actor, but I'm, I'm, I'm flubbing it. And then he just has this breakdown in his trailer where he's so embarrassed and he's freaking out and he's doing that kind of the actor neurotic thing. And then he gets back out there. And he actually gives a performance that's worthy of a supporting os- acting Oscar. Just, like, if that were an actual movie. Also, I wanted to watch that movie. Yes. I, he, his acting was so good. I was like, did they make a full-length version of this film? I'm, <laughs> I'm invested in what happens here because he actually acts the heart. Just so – it's a legitimately great performance. Yeah. It's just like, how do you do that in this, like, Western 50s style? Like, people weren't even acting like that in that era. And he just brings the – A like, yeah. truly – so when the girl says that, you're like, yeah, definitely, because he just, like, brought the house down. And before that, like, the line where he's talking to the director and the director's like, we got it. You nailed it. And hey, I love what you did when you added this part and that part, which led it to believe that like throwing the girl to the ground, adding this line, adding that line, that was all improv. He added that to the character. That's yeah. what the director wanted. We, I like what you did. You nailed it. Let's move on to the next scene. Like you couldn't ask for anything better, especially for somebody who's second guessing whether or I not was so happy for, for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just like I felt for. I was so happy for him. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, good. This. Like he needs this, like the validation. He still like, got it. Yeah, that he, he still, still has his it. fastball. Yeah, yeah. 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 For me, uh, for me, that was the that was the moment. And yeah. you know what's great is I think all of us like have all of these three scenes, but I think we all have these, and they're we we all kind of like either B or A or just like, yo. But that ending though, that ending though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're talking about all these things, and we haven't even gotten to the ending. Uh, and we're and we're over uh, an hour now, which is amazing. So uh, I'll try to get quick. There's a couple of things I really want to get to. I'll be quick. One other thought, though, on that scene, the generally the scenes of him filming in the Western that I loved so much um, is that Tarantino spent these, so much time in these long takes where they're going through their lines and these cameras moving in this way that's like it's a movie within a movie, and you're getting the view from the cinematographer as they're making it, and they're just long enough that you start to for kind of forget that there's a uh, you know, there's directors and uh, the whole crew is there and that they're in the middle of doing things. You're kind of like right. hearing that it's just, re- it's really a lot longer than you expect. And then eventually you start to hear the director's voice come in giving direction or Leo stops it by being like line or like, you know, and, it's, and it breaks. It's like, oh, 
yeah, we were in the middle of a like. You're doing these things. We're making a movie within a movie where it's like I'm forgetting that and it's they move the camera back. They move they the camera like back. It it's just back. a lot of flexing by Quentin going on in those moments, and it's like all earned and it all works. Yeah, this uh, is that's Quentin saying this is what a director does. Just so everyone is aware. Yes, this is, this what, is what a, a director, director does. does. That's yeah, right. yeah. So that's, I mean, Ode to Hollywood. Well, I mean, that's what Inglorious Bastards partly was. So yeah, the, yeah. yeah. The, the Leo arc in this is really. It's really it's good. It's truly special. Well, hey, out of curiosity, because I felt like with that arc, it almost ended at that scene. It like did. he had kind of proven himself. Yeah, that's right. Do it, you guys feel the same way? It, it was almost yeah. like everything else, with a few exceptions, was almost like an epilogue. Uh, like like he went to Italy and he made some movies and we're getting the rundown. He got, oh, he got married and, and it's time for him to just relax in the pool. Until he's needed one well, more time. For yeah. Some, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but it, it, it did feel that way. Almost like it's interesting to have an arc of a main character conclude with so much time left or feel like it concluded. You could ar- maybe you could make an argument that it didn't actually conclude at that point. But like it felt like the, that oh, was I think we can agree. It definitely concluded at the end of the movie. But like, sure. oh, yes. In a terms of part like of his arc of like it, it didn't fully complete. Yeah. But it more or less did complete about. Two thirds into the movie. Yeah, it was all gravy, I guess, from there is what it was. Oh yeah. I, I I am really intensely curious though to hear from you guys about the uh the the we've talked a lot about Brad and Leo and Margot, but there's such a cast of characters in this movie, famous people, uh less famous people, all doing such exceptional work. These are such specifically casted people by uh by Quentin. I mean you referenced the little girl in the in the Western. There's so many performances going on here. Yeah. Who was your MVP of the role players in this film? Like who who really uh, shined with limited screen time. Yeah, for me, it's Pacino. Like it, Pacino is uh, basically the fuel for... Um, Charles Schwartz is his name. Yeah, Char- Not Charles Schwartz, Schwartz exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he's movie producer, uh, apparently, I guess, financier. Yeah. But he's the one that really gets Leo to the end point. Um, and he puts him over the top. And he because he casts him in these... these um, italian spaghetti westerns and and he pays for him to go live in italy and and uh continue to be a star like he he breaks off the truth early on in the movie to leo and says your career is winding down in hollywood they're casting you in these specific roles because they're using you as a punching bag for the up-and-comers and you know rick the character doesn't understand that or he's just ignorant to it to it so he needed someone yeah he needed someone to just be a reality check for him because he's surrounded by yes man at the end of the day he's surrounding by his buddy who's going to tell him he's a big star yeah even when he's not so for me and uh pacino it's one of his best performances that he's given in the past 20 to 30 Absolutely. years he's so good in that scene that uh, it's impossible to ignore it's a very small scene it's a very small part but he makes it integral it's so good yeah so it's pacino for me that's great yeah, so uh, mine is the uh, the young girl. Mar- is it? I don't know. It's like Margaret or Margaret Quali. It's Margaret, right? I think Margaret. So. Yeah, sure. It's M A R G A R E T. Okay. So it's like maybe French. In any case, like she's in uh, the Nice Guys. She's in Leftovers. She's that's in Andy, Mc- Andy McDowell's daughter. Oh, that's very. Nice. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Who's the father? Uh, we don't know. Okay. I mean, I, like, as in, I just don't know. I didn't look it up. Does she? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, she might. I'm sure she. I hope she knows. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she 
<laughs> well, so anyway, like she, I, I really think that she's a fantastic actress, and she, um, in no way disappointed in this movie. I think um, my wife had told me that she was in this, and we both really like her work. And she's like, I heard that she's Brad Pitt's love interest, and mm. she <laughs> Brad Pitt's daughter. Like, yeah. Uh, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so she what? plays younger than 18 in this yeah. movie. She's, yeah. I th- believe, 25. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm not mistaken. What's her character name in the movie? Uh, Pussy yeah. Cat Girl? Yeah, yeah. Pussycat. That's right. Pussycat. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, her name is Pussycat. Um, but I just thought that, like, her mannerisms – her take on what a um, <laughs> hippie was mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. I mean, if she was going to be the embodiment of that, like, I feel like, I mean, me personally, I was not there, but in my mind's eye, that seems like what it was. Uh, she seems like that girl. She comes off as that girl. She comes off as that girl to Brad Pitt. <laughs> and uh, I think you can't deny what the top build people did. And we've already like gone in and spoken about, you know, Brad and Leo and, 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 um, uh, Sharon Tate. Yeah. Margot Robbie, Margot Robbie. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, I think, I think she did incredible. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, there's so many good people in here. Mm -hmm. I both of your, I, I probably would pick either one of, uh, of the ones you guys have talked about. I mean, we're talking Bruce Dern, Dakota Fanning, Lena Dunham, is Maya Hawk in Stranger Things fame is in this. Uh, Timothy Oliphant is mm-hmm. in a, a decent section mm-hmm. of this. Luke Perry, Damian uh, Lewis, rest of, yeah, Damian Lewis, uh, the even guy that plays Charles Manson, even though he's barely in the film, uh, act, an actor by the name of uh, Damon Harrison, Harrelson, something like that. How about? Emil Hirsch. Emil Hirsch. So th- this is, might be my pick, and it feels weird. Yeah, it's primarily the the final scene in his conversation uh, post Manson incident, or Manson family incident, with Rick Dalton. That scene, that scene has me picking Emil Hirsch. Uh, and uh, I, I know can see it. I can actually see it. Like in the rest of the movie, he wasn't really flashy. He just did. He went A to B. Just the you know, just a stand-in. Uh, you get the Steve McQueen explains some backstory about how he's the ex-boyfriend of Sharon Tate's, but still a friend that lives in the house, yeah, with yeah. which it seems really interesting. Um, and we, we know he's a real-life, he's playing a real-life character who was tragically killed. Um, but to have him, one of the people that actually died in real life, be the one to just be like, oh, there's basically there was a ruckus that happened next yeah. door, the ending of the film that we haven't really gone into yet. Um, and him just being like, what was going on? Like, whoa, that's crazy. Instead of being a victim of that, it was, he, he, just the way he acted. And, and then the whole, like, you're Rick Dalton. And, like, da 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 And then getting um, Sharon Tate be, uh, buzzed in to be like, it's Rick Dalton, your neighbor, da 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 He did such a good job of, like, conveying the admiration and respect he has for Rick Dalton as an actor. Right. And Leo to feel that and, and feel accepted. And, blo- and so yeah. I, I, I felt like in just that part alone, Emile Hirsch for me was – did a really remarkable yeah, job. Yeah, and so you needed that full redemption from Rick's character, and the only way that happens is if he gets acceptance from his neighbor, mm-hmm. who, <laughs> who is the literal gatekeeper because she uh, opens the gate for him. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's that's uh, one of those things, right? So, uh, yeah, it's it's a great part. He does a great job. All right. We're at uh, our hour 15 mark. Should we wrap up by talking about the ending? Yeah, I mean. Put yeah, a button on it? Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? No, I think we hit most of I th- it. I think the ending is uh, 
is good. Let's do that. that oh, 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 I thought that was your evaluation. Okay. <laughs> I was that's like, oh, he's done. Sign that's, off. I think that's ending, certainly a take. The ending is good. good. <laughs> and uh, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> that, that's what you're saying. <laughs> you're saying we should talk about the ending. That is. <laughs> I also think. I loved it. A man, a few words. <laughs> Both. Uh, <laughs> loved it. Bye. Um, did you guys? Did you guys think at any point leading up to it that? Like, you, did you expect the subversion? Did you have any idea? Like, did you think it was going to go down? Like, what were, what, were, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I obviously, my, to get to that point, I had a feeling that everything was going to be okay for our heroes. I had a feeling at that going point. Going in, really? Well, to, to the way they interacted, first of all, the way that they were setting everything up, I thought they were going to be okay. I thought that. In a Quentin Tarantino yes. movie, you thought everybody was going to be okay. Yeah. So yeah. the way that they were setting it up, the way that they turned well, Rick you seen into Hate, Hateful Eight. That, yeah. I mean, <laughs> some people, solved, buddy. Some people do get out of alive, in, uh, like Samuel Jackson in Pulp Fiction. So I thought they, they were going to be fine. So yeah. after the the Italian stuff and Rick coming home with his new wife, I thought they were going to be fine. So um, and and I wanted to see how it was going to play out. And I knew that it was going to be violent. I knew that it was going to be loud. And I knew a lot of people were going to die. And I assumed <laughs> it was going to be the the Manson people, especially yeah. once we saw their getaway car go. I think that for me was a sign. Like yes. their getaway that was the car. Moment. That was the moment that they were done. It was over. Yeah. I thought, like, there's no way they're going to get out of this okay. They have no exit plan. And um, the way that it ex is ex executed is both hilarious. Mm -hmm. It's over the top. Mm -hmm. It's funny. It's disgusting it's yeah. gross yeah and yeah. it's very cathartic it's very satisfying the way that it all plays out um so yeah it's it the ending is perfect for this movie and it, yeah, it was the perfect amount too because like you there's a, usually a lot more of this in tarantino affair yeah it, it, it felt a little bit like giving the people what they want but doing it in a way that it was like earned and part of the story and um and uh like it actually makes sense like it it's not just some cheap trick that's like okay you're here to see like this insane crazy violence uh you're you're waiting to, like that for just insanity to ensue like in django or the ending of it in glorious bastards or for the the wheels to come off and things do get crazy um things get i mean things get it gets out of control nuts. but like it's I, I, I'm, I don't want to say restrained because it is out of control, yeah. but it's just the right amount of out of control. It's like we, we have an acid dipped cigarette. Uh, yeah. We have a, a character that's tripping. We have a dog that uh, is the best dog. Yeah. Uh, we have a Mexican MVP. standoff where yep. one of the guys doesn't have a gun. Doesn't have a gun. He has fingers. Yeah. So he has a finger. And then gun. he asks them if they're real, if this, this is real. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's both hilarious and shocking and crazy. And then uh, when you think that it's, it has peaked in its shocking craziness, one of them falls into the pool where a Rick Dalton, unbeknownst to him with his over-the-ear headphones, uh, the early Bose model, I guess. <laughs> the true the noise, noise canceling. canceling. <laughs> 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 and he's like, what is this? And, he's, and she's got the gun and she's misfiring because she's like bloodied in her face. And so he jumps about the pool, what seemingly looks like just to run away and get into the house, except he goes into the guest house and brings out what was a callback to a reference very beginning of the movie that I wasn't expecting uh, a revisit on. Uh, he brings out a, the, the flamethrower from one of the films that he had Actual made. Actual flamethrower. Yeah, and just burns her to a crisp. He has no idea what happened inside, who this person is, what's going on, and his instinct is to jump out and just torch her. So, 
in early in the movie, we see him in that scene killing the Nazis, and he has a. And what's the line? He has I, I, like, he has a catchphrase. I love it. And it's just. Got to watch the like, trailer. Mark. I, I mean, did some? Did anybody? We toward, always talk about like Tarantino and how he's the best writer, but it's like stuff like this, which is like Fast and the Furious type of yeah, like yeah. <laughs> stuff. But it's so good in the, you know where it's coming from. Yeah. It's uh, what, what is did anyone line? order fried sauerkraut? And then so, he lays waste and just Nazis absolutely with the flamethrower them while laughing. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so he brings that line back at the very end. So crazy to lay waste to one of the uh, one of the the Manson and family. Just, and then him just explaining cool. to Emil Hirsch, who was just kind of asking, like, oh, what was going on next door? Like, I see there's an ambulance, yeah. kind of like, oh, there was some sort of incident. And him just well, nonchalantly explaining, like, yeah, there's some hippies. And are like, are they okay? He's like, the hippies aren't. I, I yeah. burned one of them to a, I burned her to a crisp. Like, just like, <laughs> I, he's like, with a flame, like, a, with a flamethrower. And he's like, from the movie, the 14 days of, and the fact he referenced the movie, the flame, and this is like, his eyes light up. I'm like, I love that you use that as a way to show the validation because he recognized the flamethrower, which he yeah. torched one of the Manson people. Like, right. I loved it. And that's part of the total. Re- that's part of the total redemption for yeah. Rick yeah. is he realizes he has a fan yeah. and people appreciate his work, yeah. even the early stuff that was yeah. cheesy. So. And it's like it's almost like on the nose, like there's a gate and it's closed, yeah, yeah. and yeah. it gets open yeah. and it's he's able to clear. walk through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah there's no subtlety of that analogy. No. But uh-huh. he, but he but the fact that Rick Dalton is finally accepted in, he, he's he's already shown that the talent is there. Like he actually belongs. This isn't just some hacky. Act. Like he's actually talented. Right. Can a talented person survive as in an, a changing era? And he enters the gate. He's accepted. He belongs. Yeah. And then he embraces Sharon Tate. Yeah. And that's when I got for me real misty eyed about it because it right. was like both the Rick Dalton redemption arc, everything about that, and the fact that Sharon Tate's alive. Yeah. He's he's protecting his movie stars he's saving his movie stars the the redemption everything about that moment and the culmination right. of that that she got to be the person to symbolize that acceptance of rick to the kind of the new up that the new era the new kind of that part of the of the stars was awesome because she was alive to do it like sure. that's what's amazing is that sure. and even the crane shot that brought him from the gate yeah. over to the front of the house kind of was like the like on the other side yeah yeah. Which like we all weren't allowed to go over until that point. Yeah, and also I mean we need to talk about the redemption of Cliff's character because yes he may have taken a life earlier in the movie, uh, his may, wife. Well, no, allegedly I don't. I think, mean I yeah he certainly did. I don't think so. It's an accident. He got with off. his with his actions that night. He saved two lives. He saved the life of Rick and his new wife. Yep. And through his direct action. Yeah. So and the and the action of his amazing the dog, the dog, the dog, dog did a yes. lot of heavy lifting there. The, but yeah. but yeah, it was his protector, his friend. Yeah. Like ultimately, like he protected his friend and his friend's you know new yeah. wife. Yeah. And uh, and he did it while tripping. He sure did. <laughs> and, he sure did. Uh, it was and it, I love how he even mentions I may have a limp, but I'm gonna be okay. Like yeah. I'll probably have a limp for the rest of my life, but like I'm good. He like, tells Rick to not even bother don't to go even to the come, hospital. You have your wife. Like come tomorrow. Yeah. Like it's everything about that was incredible. And then, yeah, then the curtain, uh, you know, it, it, the movie finishes, written and directed by, by uh, Quentin Tarantino. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, okay, so Tarantino's not done. Like, Tarantino could still make the best movie that Tarantino's ever made if it's not yeah. this. Like, he's capable of doing it. He still has his fastball. Like, he, yeah. 
that ending led into that moment, everything, the culmination of all of it. And again, it's long and it takes its time, but the payoff was so strong that there that was so many payoffs. It's so good. So I, uh, I was over the moon. I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe what I just watched. I couldn't believe how good it was. I had enormously high expectations and it exceeded all of them. And the thing was a masterpiece in my mind. It was a, it was a masterpiece, masterful filmmaking. It was all right. Bunch of fanboys loving on QT. Y- yes, I agree. <laughs> yes, ending was good. Yeah, that's right. Hold on to your butts. It feels like the way that uh, we're talking about this um, this movie and Tarantino's movie in general, it's basically the way most people talk about Marvel movies, the MCU. Come on, so, man. Well, yeah. that's holy ground. Endgame was... Uh, I'm saying, I, mean, I thought Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was good, but it isn't <laughs> Endgame good. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, this is obviously the best movie of the year. Uh, Maybe the best movie of the last five years. It's I, by I mean, far the best movie of the year. Yeah. Yeah, it's not even close. I mean, I think this is, like I said in the last pod, I think this has, a with time and multiple viewings, this absolutely has potential to be my favorite Tarantino yeah. film. Well, you know, that remains to be seen, but uh, it was that good. I said it once, I'll say it again. Congrats, Quentin. Congrats, Quentin. That's right. Thank you, Quentin. Aaron uh, ignored Quentin. And <laughs> <laughs> See ya. So See ya. Sarah. Yeah. Uh, we couldn't be bothered. Uh, yeah, anyway, thank. We there's so much we didn't get to, but that's this is long pod as it is. Thanks for listening. Uh, Go out and see the movie if you haven't seen it yet. Please. Yeah, if, if you you're listening to, to this, this episode and you haven't seen you the movie, seen wow. Uh, you need to watch. How about go watch the movie again for a second time? Uh, highly recommend the new Beverly if you are in the Los Angeles yeah. area. Or if you're in Sacramento and you want to fly down and do it. Yeah. I did it and it was worth it. I've done it twice now. Dick this Tracy. Correct. That was one Al Pacino performance. And then for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, another Al Pacino performance. <laughs> <laughs> One was better than the other. I'll say that much. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, I'm just I'm grateful to have seen it with you guys. Uh, it was just such a great experience. Best I, experience possible. Absolutely. My, fa- my favorite movie viewing experience I've ever had. Uh, yeah. Can I can I say one thing Please. before we go off? You're allowed. Uh, this was a especially special for uh, for for me. Um, you know, we've known each other. Oh God, we're gonna date ourselves here. Too long. I say over. Don't, don't make me cry. I'm sorry. 15 years. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the, the biggest memories I remember from the three of us was after the uh, Kill Bill screening. Mm-hmm. We all worked at the movie theater together, yeah. and we went and saw the dry run of Kill Bill, which, by the way, just volume one of a two-part series was close to three hours. We started at about 12 or 12.30 with previews. And so we got out about 3 or 3.30 in the morning <laughs> after working a full day. Oh, yeah. And it was the three of us. I mean, more people were in there, but they saw the three-hour movie. They went home. We stayed for another hour. All three of us couldn't get over what we had just seen and ended up talking about it. It was magical. Maybe an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. And that's still – I still remember that. Not necessarily the words we said, but the fact that like all of us were just like, we're not ready to go home. I, we all realized what we just saw, and it was a testament to uh, three guys who worked at a movie theaters who love film, and I feel like we recreated that <laughs> yeah. fif- over 15 years later. This was a sequel, and I would say it was better than the original. It was. Yeah. And I, you, know, you, you actually asked me this morning if I slept well last night, and I said yes. 
Uh, that was a lie. I, I hard, <laughs> actually hardly slept at all because I, my adrenaline was pumping still. <laughs> I couldn't fall asleep because I was so happy. Like that was, yeah. I don't feel like that type yeah. of adrenaline all that out, but that's how much it was like, you know, just talking about the kill bill three Magical. in the morning. Like I can't go to sleep yeah. right now. So yeah. let's go. Yeah. And so yeah, it really absolutely was, it and, was uh, uh, echoes I, of that I, night. Whoever's listening to this, you know, maybe you listen to volume one. You've at least gotten to this point in volume two. God I want bless you, you to know that. You know, we saw the movie at the 7.30 show yesterday. It's 6.30 now. This has basically been about a 36-hour pod <laughs> of us yeah. either talking about the movie or movies of what Quentin to expect. Tarantino, what yeah. to expect, post. And uh, we may go see it again tonight. <laughs> I am up for it. I, one, oh, yeah, 100 percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to see it immediately after watching it, yeah. even though we two hours and 40 minutes. Quinn, Quinn said no. Yeah, <laughs> we, we didn't have to to the midnight <laughs> show. So, uh, uh, thank you guys for for letting me be a part of it. Thanks for the thanks, last Jeff. fifteen years. And, thanks for uh, coming down. Thanks, yeah. yeah. Thanks again the for tickets, you. making it happen. <laughs> coming down for David. You guys are awesome. I appreciate it. And uh, I, I had a blast. Yeah, go see the movie. Thank you for listening to the Brave Little Podcast. Hold on to your butts. <laughs> <laughs>